The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me, the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, we're going to look at verses 67 through 79 this morning. It's printed in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you have a pew Bible around you, you can find it on page 856 in the pew Bible. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to be looking at some verses around our passage that we'll be reading, and so that'll be helpful if you have a Bible and you can keep it open. But for Advent, we are looking at the carols of Christmas, and so one of the things that unites and brings together the uh, birth narrative in the Gospel of Luke is singing. There's lots of singing going on in the first couple of chapters. Everybody's singing. Mary's singing. Uh, Zachariah's singing. The angels are singing. Simeon's singing. Singing is everywhere in these early chapters around the birth narrative. And so we've been taking the different songs. We looked at Mary last week. We'll look at Zechariah this week in his song. And our hope is that when we look at these songs that they are singing, uh, that they will help shape our hearts and our songs as well this Advent season. So with that in mind, follow along with me. This is God's Word, Luke 1, 67 through 79. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is God's word. Let me pray. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and visit us this morning through the preaching of his word. Please pray with me. Father, we do pray. Uh, We bring one thing into this room this morning, and that is our need. All of us come with some need. Uh, Some of us are already weary and exhausted. We feel overwhelmed by the season, and we feel like we're barely surviving. Others of us are in mourning. We're sad because we missed loved ones. And some of us feel lonely because we don't have family that are nearby. And so for those, I pray that you'd bring comfort. Others this morning perhaps don't feel good enough, 
feel like a failure, feel like they failed you and failed the people around them. And I pray that you would bring the hope and healing of the gospel this morning. Wherever we find ourselves, we bring our need and we ask you to meet us in our need. And I pray that every person in this room and those listening in an overflow room, that every one of us would encounter the Lord Jesus Christ in a very personal way. Would you help make that a reality this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning will be a little bit different because this is our lessons in carol service. And so believe it or not, you ready for this? There's no points this morning. I don't have three points. I don't have two points. I don't even have one point. That might be a dangerous thing this morning. I think I have one point. We'll see. Um, But we're going to just simply walk through this passage and a little bit of Zechariah's life and make some application along the way. And to understand his song, the passage that we just read, we need to understand the story. And you know this to be true. We can think of lots and lots of examples of knowing the story behind a song or a hymn, uh, knowing the story behind why these particular lyrics were written, that makes a difference in the way you hear the song. You're able to hear it in a deeper, richer, and fresher way. You hear it with new ears, and the song suddenly starts to come to life. Well, that's true of all of these carols and these songs that we've been looking at in these early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. In order to understand Zechariah's song, and in order for it to have a deep impact on us, we need to understand the backstory. And so the backstory actually begins way back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke in the first couple of verses. So if you have your Bible open, look at verse 5, and we're going to really walk through 5 through 24. So keep your Bible open, and if you look at verse 5, it tells us that Zechariah was a priest. And his wife, Elizabeth, was from the daughters of Aaron. What does that mean? That just simply means that she was from a priestly line, a priestly family. And so we could say that Elizabeth was a PK. She was a preacher's kid. And you keep reading, and you know that these were good people. I mean, look at the verses there, five, six, seven. They were walking blamelessly. Uh, keeping God's commandments, righteous before the Lord. This was a power couple. They were faithful. They were committed to the church. We would look at them and we would say, man, we want to get to know this family. We want to get to know this couple. We We would admire them. We would want to be friends and have them in our home. We also know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were well advanced in years and they were not able to have children. And so Zechariah, he's working. He's on duty in the temple, and it's night, and the angel Gabriel appears to him, and he says, your prayers have been answered. Finally, you will have a child, and he will walk in the power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people of God for the coming of the Lord. And so think about this just for a second. Zechariah is in full-time ministry. He's been to seminary. He knows the Old Testament. He knows how God had showed up for Abraham and Sarah and given them a child, even though Sarah was barren. He knows all of these things. And so you would think, right, 
that of all people, Zechariah would raise his hands and be, yes, finally, the Lord has heard our prayers. But that's not what happens, is it? That's not how he responds. Look at verse 18. Zechariah says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Let me give you a translation. I don't believe you. I don't believe you, Gabriel. And then look at verse 19. Gabriel, who's standing in the presence of God, says, I came to you. And you want a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. I brought good news to you. And Zechariah, you did not believe me. And you will be silent. A preacher without a voice is a bad situation. But you will be mute until your son John is born. And please don't miss this. Remember, nothing in the Bible is haphazard. It's not randomly placed. Everything is very intentionally placed in the Bible. Please don't miss what Luke, gospel writers do this everywhere. Luke's doing it here. Don't miss the contrast that Luke is showing us between Zechariah and Mary. Mary follows this, and there's a contrast, isn't there? Think about it. Zechariah is the ordained minister of the gospel. He's the seminary grad, top of his class. He's got his theology down. He's a good and faithful Christian. And God comes to him in the form of an angel and says, I've got good news for you. You're having a child, and he doesn't believe it. He doubts. What about Mary? Mary's a nobody. Doesn't have two nickels to rub together because she's so poor. She's a teenager. She's from the middle of nowhere. And Mary gets news from Gabriel and says, hey, you will, uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will give birth to the Messiah, to the King of the world. Think about that just for a minute. That's way more difficult to believe. And what does Mary do? She believes. And she leans in by faith. If we were going to let anybody off the hook in this passage, it would be Mary, not the preacher who has given his life for the ministry. And you see here that, and again, Luke does this everywhere. He shows us the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. People who you think would easily believe, they doubt. And people who you think would have a hard time believing, they are the ones that believe. And there is a warning here for us this morning, isn't there? There's a warning particularly for me. But I think this hits every single one of us this morning. You can be in this place every time the doors open. You can be around holy things your entire life. You can be morally upstanding and good, and that doesn't mean that you're singing. It doesn't mean that you've got a song in your heart. Let me say it another way. You can be around the power of God and yet doubt the power of God. And so application, examine your heart this morning. Heed the warning that we hear in this passage. 
And so the time has come. Elizabeth is going to give birth to John. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 51 and following. So for nine months, Zechariah has been unable to speak. And I want you to think for a minute. We can't, how long can you go without talking? We can't go long without talking. Nine months, you're unable to talk. Think about, just for a second, what that would be like. What that would have been like for Zechariah. Well, I can tell you one thing. If you go nine months and you cannot talk, you got a lot of time to think. You got a lot of time to ponder and to reflect. And most certainly, Zechariah was contemplating all of the truth that he had known so well. And specifically, you would have to think he was contemplating the power of God, that truth, and the power of God who has the power to close his mouth and the power to give Elizabeth in her old age a child. And so Elizabeth gives birth, and it's time for Zechariah to name the child. And so he can't speak, and so they give him a tablet, and he starts to write, and he doesn't write Zechariah, naming the child after himself, which was customary in the day. We know what that's like. And he writes on the tablet exactly what the angel told him to write. His name will be John. That was what was written on the tablet. And you know what it means? God is gracious. That's what John means. And so immediately, what does Zechariah do? He starts singing. And most certainly, he is singing immediately as his tongue is loosened. He starts singing deeply from the heart. And yes, of course, it's because of the power of God, but it's also because of the grace of God. The power of God to open and close a mouth. But also he's singing because Zechariah is saying, I blew it. I should have known better. If anyone should have trusted you, it should have been me. And he is praising God for his grace when he did not deserve it. And maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like Zachariah this morning. You've been around holy things your entire life. Again, you're consistent. You try to walk in a way that's upright, and in your whole life you've been committed, and yet you struggle, and you doubt, and you feel tons of shame because you're not as far along in your faith as you think you should be. And if that's you this morning, Zechariah's story is good news for you. Because this is a story of God's grace and patience. It's a story and a reminder that God is always at work in the world and in our lives. And yes, this story is hard, isn't it? In lots of ways and very difficult. But it's through the pain God was using the pain, and it was through the pain that God puts a song in Zechariah's heart. And I want you to think about Mary and Zechariah. Yes, their stories are different. They're, they're different, but notice the result 
is the exact same. They both sing deeply of God's grace. We talked about that last week. They sing deeply of God's grace from the heart. You see, the point of this story is not good Christians never doubt. And the point of this story is that you've got to walk perfectly before the Lord. No, this story is about God's grace to Zechariah. Again, Zechariah was like, I doubted you, God. I felt miserably. And yet, you didn't quit on me. You didn't give up on me, but you showed me grace. The point is that God, think about Exodus 34 that tells us what God's like in his character. The point is God is gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love. And he's always at work in our stories and in our hearts, even sometimes using hard things to teach us and to grow us so that we might trust him so that we might see his grace in our lives, even in the hard things, and we might burst forth and start singing deeply from the heart. And so here's a good prayer for this Advent season for you and for me. God, help me to slow down. Help me to reflect. Help me, Holy Spirit, to ponder your power and to ponder your grace in my life, even in the midst of the hard, in such a way that I start singing because of your goodness and grace. And so what does he start singing about? Well, I won't be able to cover everything. Let me mention a couple of things briefly. If you could summarize this song in a nutshell, it's a song of hope. It's first about the hope of salvation. Look at 68 and 69. Praise God, for he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. By horn, he's not talking about an instrument. Rather, he's talking about the horn of an animal that's lifted up as a symbol of strength. Think about the horn of an animal as an animal's offensive weapon. Here's an image for you. Think about if you're in an open field and a lion is coming after you, ready to attack you, You don't know what to do. You freeze, and over the hill behind you comes a wild ox, lowers his horns, and impales the lion. And you go free. You are saved. And the ox raises up his horns in victory. That's the image. That's the image here. That's the point. The point is salvation is a mighty act of God, and Jesus is the horn of salvation. Look at verse 71, that saves us from our enemies. How does he do it? Jesus comes into the world. This is Christmas. And he goes on the offensive. He goes on offense. And he does it by willingly going to a cross and standing under the wrath of God in our place, taking what we deserve. Not dying for his sin, he was sinless, but dying for ours. The horn of salvation. And friends, unless you believe that you need Jesus to go on the offensive for you for you personally because of your sin, unless you get that, you'll never get Christmas but you'll also never sing deeply from the heart. And this song is also a song of hope, the hope of Christmas. Look at 76 
and following. Notice it shifts here, and the verb tenses shift, and Zechariah starts singing about his son John. And here's what's interesting. Later in Luke chapter 7, Jesus says about John, he says, John, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Now think about that. Zechariah is holding John, who Jesus has called the greatest. What would you do in that moment? We struggle to make our children the center of the world anyway. <laughs> but if God in the flesh says that about your child, you're really going to struggle. But you know what Zechariah does? He doesn't make John the center of the world. He makes Jesus the center of the world. Zechariah knows that the culmination of all of human history is not John, it is Jesus. John's the forerunner. He's the one sent to prepare the way for the Lord. John was always pointing towards Jesus saying, the story is about him. Everything is about Jesus. And Zechariah knows this, and so he starts singing of the glory of Jesus. Look at verse 78. Whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high. Read that again. Whereby the sunrise shall visit from on high. That's a strange picture if you think about the sunrise, because where does the sun rise? Not from on high, but from below, from the horizon. The sun goes from low to high. And so at first it doesn't make sense, but here's when it starts to make sense. When you realize that Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 calls Jesus the sun. S-U-N, the son of righteousness, who will come into the world with healing in his wings. And so Zechariah is singing because on this day, the sun will come down from above and will visit the earth. And that is the hope of the world. And that is what we celebrate every Christmas. Our hope, the promise and hope of Christmas or the hope of the gospel is not that you've got to be good enough to get up to God. It's not in work really hard and you might make it. That's religion. No, the gospel and the Christmas story is God had to come down to you to rescue you. Again, miss that, you miss Christmas. And so Christmas, and I'll close here, yes, it's wonderful and great, but it's also sobering, isn't it? Because it reminds us that our biggest problem is not other people. Our biggest problem is not the current job that we're in or the situation that we're in. Our biggest problem is our sin. And what we often do is we think, I need to change the scenery. I need to move. I need a new job. I need new friendships. I need to get this in a better place, uh, and I'll be good. And we know that those things will not ultimately fix what is wrong with us and give us what we most need. And so, friends, the hope, the hope for your life this morning doesn't come under a tree wrapped in nice, shiny paper. No, the hope for your life and the hope for the world comes wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed not under a tree, but in a manger. And Jesus would go to a tree, not a Christmas tree, but a cross, and he would do it for you.
because he loves you and wants to be with you forever. And so here's my last question. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus personally this morning? Will you come to Jesus this morning, whether it's your first time or hundredth time? Will you come? Because you see, Jesus is the hope for your life, and he is the hope for the world. Let me pray. Father, thank you for good news of Christmas. Thank you that you came down. You didn't make us come up to you. You are so gracious and forgiving and patient and kind. Forgive us for our unbelief this morning and for placing our hope and so many other things in this world. Holy Spirit, give us the humility to hear you and to receive help and to admit that we've got a need. And if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that you would give them faith. That's not something um, any of us can do on our own. You have to come into us, into our lives, and turn on the light, so to speak. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that you would do that this morning for the people here that don't know you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.